You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Tracy, it is July in Colorado. Normally, I would be running the air conditioner day and night to keep myself from dying. But the weird weather, it's like really nice and I've got the windows open and we're, we're kind of in the same place right now in, in the Chicago area. I, too, have the windows open upstairs. It's currently 66 degrees where I am, which is like hella weird because we were at 90-some on 4th of July just a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, we're finally getting rain and just everything. I don't know. 71 here, so, and, and I just sent you some more rain. So, Oh, good. Thanks. Appreciate. And, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I actually do feel completely fine about that because uh, Husbeast and I are going to go out on the boats tomorrow, the kayaks. And so we could actually like use a little bit of rain so that we're not having to portage every like 300 yards <laughs> through the river. That'd be kind of good. Well, have you considered uh, carrying like a really long pole with you? Oh, like to, to just kind of, yeah, just kind of gondolier it. Gondolier. Yeah, except I'm making, for the, I'm making yeah. the motion, which is great. Yeah, it's you. like that's the, yeah, it's perfect. It's authentic. Yeah. Next, yeah. Plus, it plus if you have the really long stick, if you use it as a bow, then you guys can you know cosplay some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff. And you could both be Donatello. We literally were playing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game last night, and we beat Shredder as a family. Yeah. It was an important family affair. Did I you, only got completely confused about which character I was and running into a corner and attacking the corner seventeen times. So that did was you good. did you unlock Casey Jones? I don't know, because to be completely honest with you, this is going to be the lamest admission I've ever made in my life. I was so tired that I actually <laughs> fell asleep during the battle with Shredder. Like, my character was just standing in the corner doing nothing because I was, like, gone. Well, I, So I I'm assuming they, they woke me up for the credits. <laughs> there's another There's another retro game out that's on the, yeah? the free platform now. It's Battletoads. Uh-huh. Oh, so that's that's pretty hardcore so, right there. Battletoads so, are Ge- really sweet. Genevieve, yeah. do you do you have any like gamer fixations of your own that you're you're working on now that you are safely released temporarily from from your book, having turned it in, knowing that it will publish soon? I've never been much of a gamer, honestly. Uh, my family got a Sega Genesis secondhand about the time the PS2 Sega. came out. So uh, nice. I'm, I've been like years behind on video games. Oh, you were retro other. before it was cool. Yeah, That's just, all. Yeah. It's just something I never really got into. But I mean, I think mm. they're cool. They're awesome. All my friends are gamers. But it's just <laughs> I loved Sega. Sega. Yes. When Sega came out, I got the Sega Genesis and I had Sonic and... I was so happy. I, I Sega did kind of dig the mythologies too, like Altered Beast sort of things and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think I had Altered Beast as well. Yeah. I, yeah. I just watched the Sonic movie because they're they're both on Paramount and like in yeah. the second one, they're like in the flooding like little like like maze thing. And I feel like like I was like, is that a level from the game, like the first <laughs> game that I that I'm like hallucinating? Like, am, am I remembering this correctly? And then all of a sudden, like Sonic does this thing where like there's a bubble and he's like drinks the bubble. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I remember doing that in the game. <laughs> so like I had a nice, nice scream about that. I'm like, I, I didn't misremember it. There you go. So you've gamed enough to be able to fan service too. So that bit. that's yeah. that's a good you know bulwark to have hit there. Right. Yeah. It's, so folks, it's, the, the so, voice. So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know you want to introduce her, but now we're talking <laughs> retro gaming. I got to go one more step yeah. further. My cousin, my cousin was uh, uh, talking about 
showing her kids the Super Mario Brothers movie, and now she's trying to find the the old Super Mario Brothers movie, the one with John Leguizamo and uh, the guy from Roger Rabbit, Bill Bob Hoskins. Oh, Bob Hoskins, yeah. And and I I threw her even further back. I'm like, well, if you're going to do that, you got to find the TV show with Captain Lou, mm. Captain Lou Albano. Yeah, Captain Lou for uh, no doing the not yeah. for Rigno. No, oh, no, Albano. no. Albano. Albano. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Albano. Yeah, yeah. I always thought it was the original Incredible Hulk. Yeah, I always thought it was Albino, but it's actually Albano because there's no I in it. Oh, okay. But uh, uh, Captain Lou from the WWF played Mario <laughs> in a TV show. It was hilarious. So anyway. That, is just like a, can... a, that sentence is just like a collision of weird <laughs> that like needs to be checked for drugs hey, <laughs> that, me, that sentence needs to pee into a cup because <laughs> it, it, it's very difficult for anyone who wasn't born in like the the late 70s or, or, or 80s to even believe any of that was real mm. so the voice you've been hearing all this time somewhat befuddled by by our weirdness but gamely participating nonetheless is Genevieve Gornacek who longtime missers might remember from gosh was it a year and a half ago was it two it was, years ago yeah it was a long time ago it was yeah I think it was like two years ago yeah, you were with us originally as one of three guests who had been working on a Vampire the Masquerade tie-in novella triptych, but now you're here for your own solo work, The Weaver and the Witch Queen, which is coming out in hardcover, bravo, on July 25th, so pretty soon. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it sure is a book, and it sure been, <laughs> <laughs> it's sure been a trip. A lot has happened since we last spoke, so... Okay, so that that's a tease if ever I've heard one. So okay, kind of kind of like ground us in this then. Okay. Um, so I, I think I think I want to say when we last talked, uh, either my debut novel, The Witch's Heart, hadn't come out yet, or it had just come out because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I my work on the Vampire was- Tie-In project was before my debut novel came out. Like it was right. already under contract, but like yeah, like, in progress. Yeah. yeah. So that was uh, yeah, a lot has changed since then. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. But, you know, this this it feels like an exciting conversation to have because as much as I totally grew up as an emo nerd and love the vampire stuff and all of that, like this is actually you kind of getting to set the terms of your own playground here and kind of your own your own playground rules because you have a background having studied Viking history and Norse Norse history from the Ohio State University. And so yes. here you are kind of turning that into your own historical fantasy. Yeah. It uh yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing that happened. It that is sure, sure is. a thing I did. And everything everything happens so much as the old uh, meme goes. So yeah. yes. <laughs> I think it just keeps happening and it's in its it's own happening. um persistent way so yeah, i'm kind of curious point, about at some point you slept and and now hmm, it all just seems yeah. like a dream yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it's very surreal <laughs> <laughs> so i'm kind of curious about what in norse and viking mythology has grabbed you in such a way that that's kind of become your your go-to mythos like I, I think on a very broad level people think that they have a kind of literacy in that mythology but it's actually way crazier and and deeper and more bizarre i think than most people can even begin to realize so i don't talk to me about how it gets its hooks in you uh so actually my my intro to this subject was i took an old norse class in college like a a language class and in the class we translated some of the the poems um from norse mythology we translated a couple snippets of the um 
the Icelandic sagas, which are medieval stories uh, that are about the Viking Age, but they were written down like hundreds of years later. Uh, well, I mean, same with the Norse myths, like they they were written down hundreds of years after like the actual people were like practicing Norse paganism. So, and that's a whole, I could do like a whole like talk on that and how like our sources are problematic, but like, I don't know what it was about like just sitting in that class and like translating the stuff and just being like, this is so weird. Like there's so many like nuances and stuff that you, that kind of get lost to translation and like mm-hmm. translations really do matter. Um, and so like it, it's, it, it almost was like a puzzle. Like there's so many gaps in our knowledge. There's so much that we don't know. Um, and the things we do think that we know, like scholars like to argue about. So like I could have picked an easier time period that had like more documentation by like the actual people I'm trying to study, but I had to pick one that has like giant holes in, in, in our knowledge. So uh, good times. Uh, See, but the, the, I, on, on, the, on the bright side, that gives me a lot of room to play around, like from a, a narrative standpoint. So sorry, go ahead. I, I, no, no. I was going to say, I have a comprehensive uh, understanding of, of, Norse mythology and culture based on the uh, horribly underappreciated movie, the 13th warrior and the first (laughs) season of Vikings from the history channel. And neither one of those in my mind would lie to me. So. (laughs) Again, we, we being in a radio context, the, the current listeners can't quite appreciate the, tolerant smiling rictus that that genevieve has affected right now that behind those those pearly whites are so many words that aren't being said (laughs) but i mean i think that's that's seriously but i your 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 kind of joke there brings up the point patrick that like between those sorts of media that you've mentioned, you know, the 13th warrior, it's been, God, has that been like 25, 30 years ago, at least. That, that, uh, came that, out, was, yeah, that was the nineties. It's, it's the same guy who made Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like his yeah. follow-up film, I think. McTiernan. It was like early nineties, like yeah. when Antonio Banderas it, it, was and just I, kind I'm of. I'm not kidding. Famous. I'm not kidding when I say it's underappreciated. It is one of my mm-hmm. favorites. No, it is a really I, interesting I, film. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like how it kind of represents the process of, trying to understand language and understand from an outsider's perspective yeah. and so on. And, and it's kind of a Crichton. Beowulf story. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Michael Crichton's Beowulf. That's, that's what, yeah. that was the, what it was supposed to be. So yeah. I, I haven't seen the 13th warrior in many years and I don't remember really anything about it, but I do remember that isn't, um, isn't Antonio Banderas like playing yeah. Ahmad Ibn Fatlan. Yes. Uh, okay. So that's really cool that they like made a movie with this person in it because like he is one of the only contemporary sources that we have on the Vikings. And uh, he was like from, well, he was like writing about the Eastern Vikings, like, right. Like Mm -hmm. the Swedes who went East and turned into the Rus. And so like, we have all this other Viking stuff going on in like the West and the South. Um, But like, that's, I don't know. It's fascinating. Like his account is just fascinating and terrible. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And, and yeah, yeah it, 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 I believe it's inspired by, right? So it's yes. a, it's obviously a, it's obviously a, a fictional story about him going and and spending time with uh, Vikings in the north. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I, I just always loved the movie, and and mm-hmm. it gets panned a lot. But I, yep. I, I digress, and I moved us off topic. I apologize. Okay. For that. No, no, no. It's, but it's but just, I yeah, think but you're still on topic. I think. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it goes to this idea of like narratively, we have 
I'm going to like broad brush Western culture here, but like narratively as Western culture, we've returned for decades over and over and over again to bits and pieces of Norse mythology. And, you know, sometimes certain visions of it prevail and certain, certain other ones do like we've had, uh, obviously Marvel, you know, has been making hay with Thor and Loki as franchises, which are, you know, such a, bizarre kind of appropriation of bits and pieces of the Norse that sort of explained like, but they're not really gods. They're actually aliens from another dimension. It's a thing. But there are so many ways in which I think there, there's signs that this as a culture and as a, as a sort of narrative society kind of speaks to us and we keep trying to grab it and use it for things. And so I'm wondering what pieces of it you were like, I'm going to grab this and do stuff with it in my book. Yes. Uh, so, gosh, that is such a that's such a good point and a good question because there are so many things that are being like kind of perpetuated in popular culture that are about this time period, about these people and the myths that are like a pet peeve of mine. Um, because, like it, it, like I said, the sources are problematic. It's really hard to trace things back, and a lot of the things that you see like floating around in memes that have gone like viral are just like not true and like can't be corroborated by any source. So. I guess like to your point about, you know, we keep finding things, right? We keep going back and being like, oh, this is relevant to us today. Let's do something with it. One of the things that has kind of frustrated me as someone who does Viking Age living history, like I make my own clothes and I go and do crafts like with a a Viking Age reenactment group. Like that's part of my personality. Um, We are definitely going to return to that in a minute, but go on. (laughs) Um, And a lot of the things that like, like patrons at like these festivals that we will sometimes go to, to try to like educate, They'll be like, where's all the warrior women? I thought y'all were supposed to be Lagertha from Vikings. <laughs> and it's like this idea that we're latching onto. They're like, oh, like all like Viking Age women were warriors. Like that is my like number one pet peeve because like it could have been possible. Like we found at least one grave where we think that it was possible that like this female body person like was a woman warrior. But also, and, and I also would like to disclaim very loudly that I think that in 2023, anybody of any gender should be able to do whatever they want without fear of being bullied or harassed or anything like that. However, speaking historically, like the contributions of women have been like erased so much that to just be like, oh, they were all warriors, but they also did a bunch of other cool stuff that like nobody talks about because we're so focused on like swinging swords is cool, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so like for one thing, women were the ones who, uh, produce cloth so like your clothes but also the sails for your ships like the vikings would not have gotten very far without sails for their ships that was like the woman's sphere like doing textile work um so one of the things that in the weaver and the witch queen that i really wanted to highlight was the fact that like there were different ways that women could have power and agency in history without being warriors because that's just such like, and it, it, I know that like a lot of women today find, find it like super empowering to see like the woman warriors. And that's great. Like to have that, like be your like inspiration. I think mm-hmm. it's amazing, but we can have that as our inspiration without ignoring the rest of the stuff just because it's not cool. Right. Yeah. Does that it, make it, sense? It, yeah. You're oh, talking totally. about balance. You're talking about balance right. and, and, and we lack balance today. Even mm-hmm. like when we look at stuff, it's like, Oh, this is all you are. This is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't yeah. look at, we don't look at, you know, how everything that goes into it. So, so sure you might have a warrior, but you also might have someone who's cooking and someone who's doing this and someone who's doing that. And, and I personally don't think gender necessarily matters in those things. Right. It's just whoever, like you're doing what you do and yeah. sure yeah. there were warrior yeah. women. And if that is what appeals to you, sure. 
And, right? and, you know, I also look at it from this point, like if you were cooking, my God, you're a fucking wizard. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. as I, you know, I have always played around with cooking and uh, my therapist says that I seem to be happier when I'm cooking than when I'm not mm-hmm. cooking. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, you know, the more complicated something is, the less likely I am to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. But I think it also has a lot to do with, we have, the more we kind of lean into our kind of exclusive point of excitement or admiration about the role of the women in Viking society as being like, because warriors, the more we kind of play into the idea that it's, it's things that are coded masculine that define women's power. Yeah. And so the, the other reality of it is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but because my, my research chops on this are way worse than yours, but there were in our limited resources and things for for looking at Viking history and and Norse culture and so on. There is some documentation suggesting that they had laws in place for women to be property owners. Um, they had inheritance laws that included women. They had uh, community positions and political positions that, if not designed for women, could be occupied by and and you know held by women. And so, if you even think about like the idea of power, power is a big word. It can mean a lot of things mm-hmm. and it can look like a lot of things. It looks like you need this sale to move your ship, but it's also like you need my farm for your grain. You need this woman who is an alderman, you know, to support something. You need, you know, the elders in the community to get behind something. And that may include a wide variety of different people. Um, and so, yeah, if we, the, I mean, Hell, you go all the way back to like Lysistrata, and I'm mixing my mythologies here because that's Greek. But like the whole plot of Lysistrata, which granted is a comedy, is that like men are sort of they're sidelining the women in their lives and denying them political agency and power. And so women are like, what power do we have to leverage with this? And they're like, sex. Like, we're just not going to put out. And we're going to be like, we're not putting out until you give us more equal citizenship. And wouldn't you know, it kind of works. Um, <laughs> and that in and of it, I mean, there are different forms of power. And it kind of comes down to a question of use. And I think another piece of your book that's really interesting is that there's also the idea of relationships are power. You know, that, right. that there are these three core women who have this close bond with one another and tragedy strikes and separates one of them from the rest. And then the idea that their relationship isn't dictated by romantic feelings for one another. It's not dictated by, um, you know, tangled blood relationships or political alliances. And it, it's it's just that they're these closely bonded women. Um, and that in of itself, I think, kind of, again, it centers a different kind of power, which is super cool. Thank you. Um, so, so, yeah. So, 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 I mean, we've gone a little bit. What, 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 what are the books about? Like we, we've talked oh, yeah. about, we've <laughs> talked about Norse mythology. Like I read, I had to look this up because it's been so long. Um, a very, very long time ago, I read some stuff by Mickey Zucker Reichardt. That, uh, that was set in, and it was Ragnarok and beyond Ragnarok. It was the, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, Ren, Renshai, Renshi trilogy. I don't know. Okay. Those were, those were kind of Norse and those were really cool. And, uh, but those were easily 30 years ago. So your stuff's new. Tell us about it. 
So The Witch's Heart came out two years ago, and it's a reimagining of Norse mythology centering uh, the giantess Angerboda, who is only known to us from the sources as being one of the parents of Loki's three very interesting children. (laughs) And then The Weaver and the Witch Queen is a historical fantasy reimagining of the origin story of Gunhild, Mother of Kings, who was a early 10th century um, queen of Norway. She was technically, she was married to the second king of Norway, but she, she herself was technically the first queen like the first person to like be queen of Norway because the previous king Harold Finehair who had united the country in like the 870s 80s the late 9th century he had like a bunch of wives and he had a bunch of sons with these wives and then the sons all just fight each other and <laughs> it's super fun um but yeah so i i Gunhild is such like a an interesting character in the source material. Um, but like most women in the medieval Icelandic sagas, you never see her like talking to another woman at all. Um, and so I was like, you know what she needs? She needs two best friends. And I'm going to give I her need, two best friends. I need the Bechdel test version of the... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, I can only think of like one or two instances in the sagas where women talk to each other. And it's, I think both times it's about men. So yeah, it doesn't pass. Uh, they don't pass. None of them pass. So we're going to... Mm-hmm. Because the sagas are very much like, here are what the men are doing. And the women kind of come in sometimes. And sometimes they like pop up and they kick ass and then they leave. Um, And when I say kick ass, I mean like either like maybe stab somebody or like give them a few like pointed words in front of the other men to make them act like act. Um, So again, like the ways that women could hold power in this society, like Mm -hmm. you don't have to be a warrior to stab someone. Like... Mm -hmm. (laughs) So stab someone, uh, the one woman in uh, Geisley's saga, Geisley's wife, like hit somebody in the face with a bag of silver, which is like epic. Um, just like they do cool things. Like they don't go to <laughs> battle, but they still are like, you know, these amazing, like resilient and canny women. Um, and I count Gunhild as one of those. So I wanted to tell her story. That's awesome. So now that you've now that you've done not just one but two books that are kind of set in this um, more fantastically realized you know version of our, uh, our of our our history and sort of more of the sort of magic um, embedded within it, how has that kind of changed your your thinking about how you want to use fantasy in storytelling? Like, have you realized over time that like, oh, wait, I, I can afford to be freer with this stuff or no, I actually do what kind of want to put myself on certain rails and obey certain sort of rules. Like, I'm kind of interested in how there's there's this growth curve, right? Yeah, um, that is something I definitely struggle with because I am such a stickler. Like, like I said um, early on, I came at this whole subject from like an academic standpoint. I know people who have come at, um, come to it like from a religious standpoint, like maybe they're Norse pagan and they wanted to learn more, or maybe they were metalheads and their favorite mm-hmm. band, you know, has a lot of Norse themes and they wanted to learn more about it that way. But like coming out of from academia, I had a very like strict like. Like, this is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> and um, in The Witch's Heart, which is like purely fantastical and mythological, um, you know, the end of the Norse kind of like chronology of myths is Ragnarok. Like, yeah. everything ends. It's a bummer. So, like, yeah. yeah. And so, like, okay, like, what do I do with a, like, how do I make a satisfying ending out of a book where like the entire cast is going to die pretty much? Spoiler alert. Not really a spoiler alert. That's for <laughs> yeah. The Witch's Heart, though. Yeah. Um, and then for, for Weaver, I had an even like harder time being like, okay, so this is what history says. And like, how do I kind of like, am I allowed, what am I allowed to change? Like, you have to keep yourself people- from well actually yeah. in your own process. 
That's, <laughs> my author's note for the Weaver and the Witch Queen is my yeah. well actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nerd alert. Um, but yeah, it was it was <laughs> it was definitely a struggle because I, you know, at, at one point I had to be like, okay, is this gonna serve the story? Like, or is this and basically like my publisher was just like, Don't worry, yeah, you try can't to tell a good it. story. Yeah, your publisher's so, right. You can't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Absolutely. just, just yep. write the story the way yeah. you want to write it. This oh, is yeah. this is where we do the the Fury Road meme. That's bait, and I'm not. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> One of the greatest films ever made, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Mad Max Fury Road, I, 2015. I've talked about this before, but one of the like blessings of being a nerd with kids, who for the most part their their nerdiness is similar to my own, is getting to like show them nerd things. And it's it's a little bit dicey sometimes because you have to be super careful to not like turn it into homework to be like, right. you must now watch this nerd thing that's important to mom and and feel pressure to like it in some way. But it is like a sort of like, I think that this is fun. Let's see what you think kind of deal. And I am waiting to get to the point with my son that I think he's ready for Fury Road. Um, he's 16. So I don't think it's yeah. a matter of like content exactly. I think it's, a, I, I, I think I need to know that he's he's ready for that kind of pacing because the pacing on it is a bit weird. Yes. He did watch um, Everything Everywhere all at once and loved it a lot. Oh, so I think I think too. that's a good sign. I think that means that yes. we can probably Fury Road soon. Yes, so. I think I think um, uh, Everything Everywhere all at once was definitely more than Fury Road, like in every yes, way. Yes, like, in a lot least, of, yeah. Yeah, and at least Fury Road is like, I think uh, there was like a tweet like years ago that was like, describe your favorite film badly. And my friend <laughs> tweeted for Fury Road, drive into the desert, drive back again. And like, that's, <laughs> that's the film. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I have there's a, more to it than that, but like, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I've always had a, I've, I've had a thing that I've always liked about Fury Road that I don't necessarily know that people talk about that much. I, I like when an actor gets out of the way in order to mm -hmm. make the story better. And I feel like Tom Hardy did that. Like yes. he doesn't have a whole, he's lot got like a do. paragraph worth of lines. Yeah. But he's so cool with it and he's still yeah. there. And, and it just, it just, it's like, we have a, we have this great story that we're going to tell. It's a Mad Max story and Mad Max isn't the focus of the movie. Like there's other stuff going on and to have an actor be that comfortable to, to be able to like, be like, I'm going to be in this, but I'm not going to be it. I always thought was really great. Yeah. He, he seems like, he seems like an interesting actor to me. Like he doesn't, he picks some weird stuff. Like you start off with, uh, I'm the genetic clone of Jean-Luc Picard and you go to Venom. It's like, that is a pretty, pretty broad range of fucking weird. I'm just going to look sweaty and awful for two and a half hours and talk to myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. And well, okay. So that was anything. I will say I will watch almost anything that Charlize Theron does because she's just a badass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which kind of goes back to our previous discussions of badassery that it manifests in many, many different ways. And she has yep. manifested them all. Yes. So. Yep. Yes. <laughs> all right. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling pumped up for Picks of the Week. What do we say? Ready for it? Picks of the Week. Patrick, what's your pick this week? 
I'm going to go with low-hanging fruit, and I'm going to say okay. uh, Marvel's Secret Invasion on Disney+. Plus. Shocking I, everyone. I have I not know. started watching this yet, So, but, yeah. but, but please tell me. <laughs> I, I just uh, – I – I like the stuff that they're doing on Disney plus. It seems to be pretty divisive out there. Uh, I'm liking the stuff that they're doing on Disney plus better than I'm liking the feature films that they've been putting out. But now having said that I have not yet seen guardians of the galaxy volume three, but I did finally see uh, quantum mania, which was not great in my opinion. And, uh, uh, I have high hopes for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and I have high hopes for the Marvels, mm-hmm. uh, two feature films uh, that are supposed to come out. I, I, but I just, I'm, I'm enjoying the, the episodic stuff that they're doing on Disney Plus much better here recently. And uh, Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson is a great character, and they haven't done much with him recently, I think because mm-hmm. of this, right? They've been, yeah. been kind of waiting. And to. It, uh, not to give too many spoilers, but uh, there's a lot of of dealing with, you know, it's it's Fury. What happened to Fury after the snap? Yeah, and how he dealt or didn't dealt, dealt. He dealt or didn't yielded. Deal. Yeah, yeah, yielded with yeah. with the snap and 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 everything that happened, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting and it's it's a good character study for for him. And uh, him coming back to, to kind of deal with some problems that are happening on Earth, which is the secret invasion stuff. Uh, so you get you get the what I feel like are the best parts of the Captain America movies, which is the spy stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I still maintain that that Winter Soldier was one of the best fucking movies they have ever made. My God, that was just such a great movie. And you get some of that same vibes going on with Secret Invasion. So enjoying that. Trying not to be spoilery about it. Right. No, no. Appreciate that. I will say, like, I mean, we're story type people. We, we, we kind yeah. of live and breathe that sort of thing. And it makes sense to me that the television series are turning out better than the films are because the television series has space to breathe. Um, that because they can, they can set their own terms there. Like each episode, maybe one episode's 45 minutes. The next episode's like an hour and 10 and it's fucking Calvin ball. We're going to do whatever we need to do to make these episodes semi-complete in and of themselves and also tie them in. And I think that is also more true to the source material of comics. Comics are episodic by nature. And so I think that allows them to lean into the strengths of what, writers who really kind of understand comics universes should already be inclined to do instead of, you know, yes, we can create a story in two or two and a half hours here for cinematic purposes, but we're always going to kind of truncate it in some way, shape or form. And then maybe at the end, we'll put in like a 90 second teaser drop in the middle of the, um, in the middle of the credits to tell you that actually the story is not quite over. You know, yeah. that has always felt like a sort of lazy attempt to do what the episodicness of comics is meant to do. Yeah, I, I agree. At some point, it, it would be difficult for you and I to have this conversation, Tracy, for, for yeah. obvious reasons. But I because the television, but I would because right, right. I, I would love <laughs> I would love to have a conversation with someone who's up on all the Star Trek stuff. I'm getting there. I'm getting okay. there. I'm, I'm so I watched the original. Se- don't judge me. 
I got into Star Trek when the 2009 movie came out. I thought it was phenomenal. And I didn't understand why my friend and her parents who are like lifelong Trekkies were like, this isn't Star Trek, right? (laughs) Like, this is like, this is not what it is. And so I watched the original series. I'm like, okay, they're right. But like, you know, uh, and then I watched Next Generation a couple times. And then I was like, okay, finally, I'm going to watch, I guess I'll move on to the next series. And like, I'm sitting through DS9, like, this isn't TNG. (laughs) And then eventually I just got really i'm like really into ds9 right now so like i'm working i'm trying to work my way through all of all of star trek um so one day i'm going to be able to talk about star trek (laughs) with you but like right now i'm like season five of ds9 so um yeah gotcha i just just really excited about star trek there's a there's a uh, and i'm happy that makes me very happy actually uh because i star trek is one of the most in my opinion open and welcoming fandoms Mm mm-hmm for the most part, there's some bullshit going on, but but for the most part, uh, there there's people out there who who to our point earlier think that they know what Star Trek is about and this is what it's about and it's about you know Kirk and Riker going off and screwing the the alien you know that's not really it and no. they're like oh my god Star Trek is so woke now fuck you it's always been come on they had the first interracial kiss yes, on television yes they like did in so the 60s. much stuff. But, but here's really the thing. Did. Here's the thing. Those people never saw that because it was banned where they lived is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, but but there's this there's this theory now today with with the Star Trek that's going on now with Discovery and Prodigy, Lower Decks and Strange, Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And I'm, I'm loving all of these shows. But what's interesting is there's there's a theory that that there's no these shows, the people who are doing these shows and writing these shows aren't talking to each other. And, and the thought is that it's because we're seeing similar things happen. Similar, similar uh, uh, big bads, similar big stories, that, that similar uh, conclusions to seasons and things mm-hmm. there. And it's like, you know, it happens and then someone goes, well, that's just what happened in Prodigy. Or someone goes, well, that's what happened in Lower Decks. Or, well, that's what happened in Strange New World. Or that's what happened in Discovery. Maybe the big reveal is going to be this is Star Trek's version of, of Kang the Conqueror, who is just showing up in slightly, or, or like the Master, showing up in slightly different manifestations throughout different I, timelines. I will throw out one yeah. more thing. I will throw out one more thing since you mentioned that. Uh, mm. There's always been time travel in Star Trek. There's always been weird stuff happening. Uh, one of the ways that they are are pseudo canonically explaining why the technology in JJ Trek, the movie that you saw, and Discovery and these other ones is so different from TOS and TNG and DS9 and Voyager, is because there's been tweaks to the timeline as people are doing time travel and. Mm. And stuff's been happening behind the scenes. And there was even a point recently where someone said uh, that time itself seems to be pushing back against time travelers. Oh, that is fascinating. And, that, and I, so, I love yeah. stuff like that. Oh, that's great. That's so great. The uncertainty principle yes, has come to now play. You've got, uh, now you've got stuff to look forward to because there's, yeah. some, there's some really cool stuff. There's some and, really uh, cool stuff. Like there was just a one of the episodes of DS9 I just watched. Like uh, it was the one where like the the temporal police like come and talk to Cisco. And it's yeah. like wow, like you guys do time travel weirdness so much that now like Starfleet has like a temporal yeah. like we have rules about this. Yes. Whenever you get like time Section, travel stuff yeah. happening, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. that that continues. Wait till you get to oh god, I hate I hate to say this, but my least favorite of all of them is Enterprise. Okay. 
but when you get to enterprise, you're going to have some fun. Okay. There, there is some fun stuff there. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, but yeah, I, I probably need to get Mark Boder and Kenoli Joe uh, together mm-hmm. and the three of us uh, have a Star Trek talk that we can put out. There, there. you go. There you go. Yes. Then we'll, we'll, we'll have a big plan there. Yeah. So how about you, Genevieve? What's your pick of the week? Um, so it can be a book, right? Or yes. It can be anything yes. you want. Okay. So uh, I have not shut up about this book to anybody, uh, and I will not shut up ever. Um, it's called Darkwater Daughter by H.M. Long. It comes okay. out on Tuesday, and mm-hmm. it is a flintlock fantasy. So it's like a pirate fantasy yeah. with a super cool magic system, but it's winter. So like think of Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. But, like, winter and, like, add more magic. And the author, uh, who actually, she debuted the same year as I did. Her first book mm-hmm. came out, like, a month before mine. Um, she, like, made this TikTok a while back that was, like, do you like Commodore Norrington in the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie where he's all, like, grimed up and trying to regain his honor? Like, then you'll like this book. And I would like to just co-sign that. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I never really realized how much, like, pir- Pirates came out. I mean, it's been over 20 years. Shockingly long time ago. I know. Um, And those those films were so, the first three, were so formative for me. And like my style and my sense of humor and like what I do creatively. And I didn't notice it until like last year when I went back and watched it. I was like, oh. (laughs) Oh no, I'm just a collection of pirates memes. I'm I'm just a collection of memes, period. I'm just like Mm -hmm. 700 memes in a trench coat. Like that is just who I am as a person. The internet raised me. Um, But Darkwater Daughter by H.M. Long. Like cannot recommend it enough. It's the first in a series. Um, And I hope to read the next one early if the author would give me an advance copy. (laughs) Well, we hope you're listening, H.M. Long. (laughs) And I apologize. That sounds really cool. But I also had a thought while you were talking about that. Uh, Are you watching Star Trek on Paramount? Yes. You do need to check out the animated series. Okay, cool. It, it's worth it. It's actually really good. Okay. And it continues cool. TOS. So I'm just throwing That's it. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I still need to I still need to watch some of the movies too because they like took them off Paramount for like a minute and now they're yeah. back and I'm like, okay, now I gotta do this because I was at Half Price Books the other day looking at all like the novelizations of Star Trek and I had no idea where to start. And I right. just saw all of these that were just like, <sighs> this is like after this movie and that movie. Yeah. And I was like, I just haven't seen the movie. So, so mm-hmm. if you're going to get into the books, that's a whole other <laughs> thing. In So, oh God, sorry. This is, this is my, this is my. No, game. this is good. This is good. <laughs> The the original pocketbooks from back in the day, like with uh, Diane Duane writing yeah. and um, Peter David and DC Fontana, some of the Both some of the people of who were actually involved with familiar. the show. Um, yeah. A lot of those had a a loose continuity. Nice that they did, and it. What's funny is that uh, eventually that got stopped because they didn't want the continuity. Like whoever was in charge figured out what the fuck was going on. But yeah. like you would have uh, as an example, there was a there was a computer on the Enterprise that was like the entertainment computer and would help the the crew with um, uh, their downtime and 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 so and that became a thing in several of the books. Like there was this this continuity there. Nice. Like but stuff that would happen in one book would actually impact the characters in the next. So cool. you gotta gotta if you go back far enough, you're gonna get stuff like that. If you go back even That's further, awesome. like the Blish novels and stuff, my God, th- those are those are really thin, really small. You can read those really quickly. But nice. uh 
I, my mom, and I've told this story before, my mom was a bartender and she would tell uh, the people who came to the bar about her kid who loved to read. And so they started bringing in paperbacks that they had finished and they would give them to her. And some guy was a huge Star Trek nerd. And so he just started bringing her boxes of the old Star Trek novels that he had. So I still have them all. That's amazing. yeah, so I have I have tons of these old Star Trek now, and then I would go and buy more. So I was buying them, especially when TNG came out. I started buying the TNG ones, and then I started buying the DS9 ones, and nice. I think I even have a couple of Voyager ones. Uh, but yeah, so I at one point I was trying to collect them all, and then I gave up because there were just so many. So many, yes. <laughs> but yeah, if you're going to go down that road, uh, there's some good ones that I could I could probably recommend. Um, yeah. Uh, there's one about Spock that is just one of my favorites, but yeah. Nice. Sorry, Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> Thank no you. worries. So uh, my pick of the week is actually a place. Um, so a couple weeks ago, my husband, um, actually less than a couple weeks ago, but by the time you hear this episode, it'll have been a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my husband and my kids and I went to a Cubs game, which was fantastic. And we have a routine for, for when we go to Cubs games where we drive up into the city, we park in uh, the Lincoln Park area, and then we get day passes for uh, the L trains and the CTA and just use those to get around. We hopped on the L, went up to the to the game. It was awesome. They absolutely uh, shut out the Guardians. It was fantastic. Um, so anyway, went through uh, all of that, and then we, we decided we were going to adventure because we had our CTA cards. And so we ended up going a little bit north on the red line to the Edgewater district of Chicago, where there is a totally amazing game shop called the Dice Dojo that we had Ooh. never been to before. So if you happen to be in the Chicagoland area and are saying to yourself, self, I would like to buy a game, but I would prefer not to give my money to the Bezosaurus, um, then one of the things that you could do would be to check out the Dice Dojo. Um, the Dice Dojo, in addition to being in a really fun Edgewater neighborhood that's surrounded by great restaurants and is all of like 150 yards away from an L stop, so who could ask for more than that, has the biggest demo room I have ever seen. Physically, half of the store's footprint is a demo room. And for those who don't know what that is, a demo room has tables and tables and tables and tables. And in it are shelves that are floor to ceiling and wrap around the entirety of the room, which is probably about, I don't know, a 2,000 square foot room all by itself. It's enormous. And those floor to ceiling shelves are nothing but copies of games that they've opened at some point. So someone could try it out before they buy it. And so people go there with groups of friends saying, I've heard about this game, but I don't know anything about it. And they'll say, come on, and they'll take you to their demo wall. And if it's not already open on the demo wall, they will find a copy of it in stock and pull out a box cutter and open it for you. And you get to play it right there and then. They'll pop out the pieces and everything. And if you don't want to buy it, that's fine. They'll just stick it on the demo wall for the next person who wants to try it out. Um, So they are enormously helpful. The shopkeeper uh, who was on duty then as I was browsing around looking at other stuff was working with a woman who was trying to get some resources to run her own Dungeons and Dragons game in person for the first time. She'd been doing it online, um, like through D&D and beyond and stuff like that for a while. But her pandemic friends were like, no, let's together get together in person. And she was embarrassed because she didn't actually own any physical dice. She'd been using a dice program to roll all this time. And she's like, I can't let them see me without dice. 
And so she had painstakingly picked out the set of dice that she wanted. Dice nerds know what this is about. And um, Uh, got up to the register. and Hold on, hold on, hold on. So the story's been great up until that point. Uh, Now it's unbelievable. Uh, You don't just buy one set. Well, okay, but here's where we're going with the story. She had been talking about how she had just managed to, like, afford an apartment of her own and had, like, a really set budget for – she had just gotten a raise and was finally moved out into an apartment on her own, and it was, like, a first time, but she had a really tight budget, and she wanted to buy this game and this book, but also this set of dice, and it was, like, five bucks more than her budget, and she was hemming and hawing, and she was about to put the dice back, and the guy was like, I'll buy (laughs) <laughs> and so the shop owner just straight up bought this lady a set of dice right there because she was about to walk away from them otherwise. Who could ask for more? So lovely people, ridiculous selection, fantastic uh, community culture. They have events every single night of the week. Uh, a couple of them are, of course, like card collectible things like Magic the Gathering. But a lot of them are magic? different gaming thing things. So, and and um, what is the name of this magical place? One more it time? is called the Dice Dojo. And it is in Chicago, north side of Chicago, in the Edgewater neighborhood. Thank you. All right. Highly recommend you check it out. I know that they have a website, but I, since I was there in person, I wasn't really looking at it. But you could probably order things from them, too. Sweet. All right. So, folks... This turned out to be quite a quite a voluminous episode here. We have ranged far and wide, uh, but we shouldn't forget where we started, which was with Genevieve Gornacek and The Weaver and the Witch Queen, which is coming out on July 25th. Genevieve, where can people find you and your books and give you all their money? Uh, I am most active on Instagram, at Jen Gornacek. That's Jen with a G. Uh, I also have a Twitter account and a Facebook page that I don't post anything on. Um, so Instagram's really the way to go. Um, and uh, my book should be available everywhere books are sold. So I, I, will, I will throw it out as of as of this recording. Threads is now available. Yes, which is I the, just made suppose- a Threads too. And and supposedly you can just because I did this. Uh, if you have an Instagram account, you automatically get a Threads account. You can just you yeah, can just I, log in yeah. with your Instagram, and it'll mm-hmm. it'll populate, and boom, you've got a Threads account. I think you have to like activate it though. And I was very silly and I like did mine on private first because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. And then it turns out there is an option to like just follow everybody you follow on Instagram. Yep. That's what I did. And yeah. and so like I guess a bunch of people had done that to me because I was like, oh, I have to like confirm <laughs> a bunch of like stuff. And I was like, oh no. I should have been so busy. I just I started nice and busy. Yeah. <laughs> so I made it uh, public. So maybe I'll post it, something there once in a while, but as a as a just in case it's not there yet, maybe by the time this goes live it will be. But uh, I set up a functional nerds Instagram so that I could set up a functional nerds Threads account. Nice. So okay. There you go. Love Look that. at you with the with the I social media multitasking. Very cool. <laughs> it's been awesome having you on, Jen. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. All good things. Here we are at the end again. But there's some stuff you should probably know before you go. First, consider heading over to beyondthetrope.com and checking out their podcast. It's a lot of fun. Giles and Michelle have been around for nearly a decade now, I think, having fun chats with writers, artists, actors, and more. They put out a new episode every Tuesday and have something like 430 overall in the can, I think. As of this recording, it might be 431, I don't know. But that means there's plenty there for you to dive into. Second, 
If you liked this episode of The Functional Nerds, consider giving us a couple of stars on your favorite podcast platform or posting about this episode or any of our episodes on your favorite social media platform. Tell your friends about us. Have them come over. We would really appreciate that part. If you buy a book mentioned on the podcast, let us know on social media. Tag us. Tag the author. That's always so much fun, and it really, really drives home that we help sell books every once in a while. Now, if you really, really, really enjoyed this episode, you could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and give us a couple of bucks. I mean, that helps to keep the lights on. We like that. It's kind of hard to podcast in the dark. You can get access to some cool stuff like a pretty engaged and vibrant super secret Facebook group, a monthly virtual hangout, or even an extra episode. It's called the Just Us episode of the podcast. And it's exclusively at this point for our Patreon backers. So if you just want to hear Tracy and I talk about stuff, that might be where you need to go. Other than that... What do we think about Mando season three? Mr. Carpiers. You got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions. And then oh squirrel. Oh for God's sake. Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? Okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited. <laughs>